Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Explaining History podcast. And uh, this week I want to talk about uh, something I've been writing about for the last um, few weeks. Um, The subject of uh, the development of railways and steamships in China uh, in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Now you might think this is something of a departure from the normal kind of thing that I do. Um, That it's um, slightly more micro than macro. You know, I tend to look at big pictures of uh, intellectual change in the 20th century, social change, cultural ideas, and that sort of thing. So this does seem to be slightly off the beaten track. But trust me, it isn't. The development of railways and steamships in China um, from 1860 to about 1930 really is the um, aggressive um, onslaught of modernity, um, a, a 20th century European, 19th and 20th century European version of modernity on China, and it is the the manner in which China is penetrated by uh, European capital, by European nation-states, and opened up. So the story of railways and the story of steamships in China is the story of Western colonialism in China. And it is also the story of the response of the Qing dynasty and later the um, post-revolutionary Republican government under Sun Yat-sen and Yuan Shikai to that onslaught. And um, so... Railways and steamships are really signifiers for a, a much bigger um, set of historical processes. Um, obviously, steamships um, were and railways were how the continent of Africa was opened up, and the scramble for China takes place um, towards the end of the period of the scramble for Africa. Now, if you were to look at this from a Marxist perspective, um, the uh, you know, traditional Marxist economic uh, theory suggests that what capital does is it constantly seeks out uh, new markets and new returns on investment. So, once somewhere like Africa is um, sort of economically saturated, once um, imperialism has gobbled up as mu- European imperialism has gobbled up as much as it possibly can do from Africa then you need uh, a large new territory um, where resources can be acquired cheaply 
um, where investment can be made um, and where markets for um, Western consumer goods can be accessed. And there's nothing better at the end of the 19th century um, in the eyes of European imperialists than China. So the story begins at the end of the Second Opium War fought by Britain uh, against China uh, for um, access to Chinese markets and the right to sell opium in, into China. And the um, end of the Taiping Rebellion, this enormous um, uprising against the Qing dynasty, really inspired by a kind of apocalyptic brand of Chinese Christianity um, and a massive reaction to uh, the Western uh, colonization of China. Um, that still had uh, four years to run, so it was by no means um, a victory for the Qing dynasty in 1860. And so you get an idea of how helpless and uh, powerless um, the, the the Qing dynasty actually is at that time. Britain's mastery of steam power had won her the Opium Wars. It had uh, been a very uneven fight between the British and Chinese navies. Wooden junks blown out of the water by new iron-hulled battleships. And um, the British were keen to access the great waterways of the Yangtze River particularly, taking um, British traders deep into the heart of China. And by gaining these um, concessions, um, they managed to begin a, a kind of a catastrophic economic process of accessing um, what were still um, artisan economies, um, individual craftsmen making goods and services in Chinese villages uh, were devastated um, by the advent of mass-produced, manufactured British goods um, that were cheaper and more durable in many cases. Uh, and the networks of um, trade and interdependence within village societies began to fall apart with the um, development of uh, rural unemployment. And, of course, the other commodity that the British were selling in large quantities into um, rural China is opium. Railway building by the 1880s had been virtually a, a non-starter, something we'll come on to in a moment. But there were, by 1881, seven Western-owned uh, steamship companies uh, sailing dozens of ships every day um, up the Yangtze River, uh, the Pearl River, and various other estuaries. Um, and the Chinese Qing um, administrators and bureaucrats, some um, such as the, um, the great uh, figure of the day, Li Hongzhang, one of the great kind of quasi westernizing figures, um, urged the uh, uh, Qing um, throne to pay close attention to what the Westerners were doing. But this largely falls on deaf ears. The Qing government does eventually set up its own um, steamboat company, but it's not set up in quite the same way. The um, Western companies are uh, limited companies uh, or joint stock companies that are able to raise money from uh, Western banks in places like Shanghai. Um, they are um, based on kind of purely commercial lines. They are looking to make returns. 
and um, they don't ply unprofitable routes, for example. The um, Qing government used their uh, steamboat line to project national prowess, to uh, respond really to the uh, challenge of Europeans. And the uh, ships sail um, along routes, uh, some of which are profitable, some of which are not. And um, the company uh, winds up actually costing the Qing government more than it makes. One of the key problems that the company faces is that of corruption. The it, the traditions of um, corruption, very genteel traditions of corruption, within the uh, Qing administration um, were such that uh, it was considered unusual or almost um, unorthodox if uh, bureaucrats were not financing themselves using such kinds of institutions, dipping in, taking funds, uh, taking uh, loans uh, that were never repaid. And the uh, the company suffers from that, but it also suffers from the fact that um, there aren't a sufficient number of uh, ship captains and crews in China that know how to operate steamboats, so Western captains need to be sought anyway. So this um, system of bolstering national pride is undermined by the very people that set it up, um, and it's also um, undermined in its, in its essence because Westerners are needed to make it work effectively. The uh, capital to set it up is, very, is rather thin on the ground uh, because the Qing government can't access uh, loans and finance in quite the same way that Western companies can. The actual capital for the company, the, the ships themselves, uh, were bought from um, Western steam, steamliners, steamline companies, uh, navigation companies they're, they're called, and the ships were very often old or um, on their last legs or in a state of disrepair because the people uh, in the Qing administration buying the ships didn't know what to look for and didn't know, um, you, know, why, you know, the whys and wherefores of uh, ship purchase. So um, the whole uh, enterprise was um, hamstrung from the start. And of the 33 ships it had acquired by uh, 1877, 23 had uh, become uh, junk, uh, junk in the Western terms, uh, the Western term, well, understanding of the term, uh, by 1890. Now the story of the railway network um, is, is similar, but um, it also has a, a different angle to it as well. Railways were, uh, as the steam, as the uh, steamboat uh, system uh, also was, used to access remote parts of China in order to bring um, raw materials such as coal and timber to ports to have it exported. But the Chinese government um, was slightly more savvy about railways. Not very much more, but slightly more. And after the revolution in 1911, the um, system of railways was seen by Sun Yat-sen as a means of binding China together, this vast and disparate um, and very fissile um, empire that was quite likely to break up. 
could be held together by railways and people uh, travelling across China by rail could have a combined sense of nationhood through rail. And this had been done before. The railways, the transcontinental railways in America, built after the American Civil War, ironically, largely by Chinese labour, were um, the first means by which the West Coast and the East Coast were connected um, to different um, settler colonist societies were linked up. And is after the American, after the North and the South are forcibly linked up by the victory of the North in the Civil War, so the East and West are linked up by railways. And a, a combined sense of nationhood begins to emerge, not exclusively as a result of railways, but they have a significant part to play in it. As soon as individuals are aware that they can travel all around the the, the polity, the kind of political and um, geographical entity that is their nation, new ideas about that nation begin to emerge. And um, this combined with the development in a mass media, normally uh, in the eight, the 19th and 20th centuries, newspaper and radio and later television, where ideas about that nation can be transmitted in ways they'd never been transmitted before on a scale and at a speed never transmitted before. Modern ideas of being part of the nation, being subject to the nation and being uh, in some way connected to the people in the nation, even though you've never met them or you'll never like to meet them, all of them. Um, this is um, part of the kind of the, the the development of this curious notion of of nationhood. Um, if you're interested in more of that sort of thing, go to my blog outstandinghistory.wordpress.com. I'm writing extensively on the development of nationalism. Um, check it out. Anyway, um, but the development of railways is a really hit and miss affair to begin with. The first stretch of railway was created by the British in 1876 at Baoshan, um, but it led to uh, protests from local people who felt afraid of the, this kind of encroachment of new and foreign technology. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Um, ...that seemed to be at odds with uh, Chinese ways of doing things. Um, they claimed that the, uh, the, the straight metal tracks ignored the Taoist principle of feng shui, um, the idea that uh, all elements must be in, in harmony and the positioning of objects and things need to have a kind of a, a sense of, of, of Taoist harmony to it. In order to deal with these protests, uh, Qing officials bought the railway line, dismantled it and sent the steel to Taiwan to appease the people of Baoshan. Um, and what does that show us? Well, it shows us that in this period of popular unrest, which is nearly always linked to fears about the encroachment of foreigners um, and uh, Western imperialists into China, uh, the Qing um, administration by the 1870s was very, very sensitive uh, to any upset um, caused to, uh, to the people. Um, so the uh, first 50 miles of track um, was successfully laid between Tianjin and Tangshan, uh, in 1881, and this was uh, the, a, a means of getting coal from Tangshan to the port at Tianjin, um, so it could be exported. So the development of railways in China um, were part of, as in India and in Africa, part of the development of colon- uh, the, the colonial style of capitalism, of um, exploitation of the country for its raw materials. It must be said at this point that this first section of rail was a, uh, a, a largely Chinese enterprise, but it was a Chinese enterprise um, based on the exporting of coal to um, the rest of the world uh, at uh, extremely low prices. And, and so it was really... A uh, whilst it was built with Chinese labour, it used Western engineers and Western technology and um, trains from Britain that were that ran along the track, and um, simply the um, fact that it was authorised by the imperial government really shows us the extent to which the imperial government was um, responding to a demand for uh, coal to be exported, uh, normally in fairly unfair terms of repayment. So this railway presented the uh, Qing uh, dynasty with another difficulty. You had a means of, a, a mode of technology in China that was clearly superior to anything that the Chinese had, which really um, undermined these traditional notions that the Qing uh, uh, dynasty had propagated uh, about Chinese supremacy. Um, they were suspicious of foreign innovation and saw the laying down of foreign railroads across China as a kind of uh, a, a quiet colonization of China. But then they could also see 
how advantageous it could be to them. Being able to ship troops around very quickly to put down rebellions uh, was was very handy. Um, Europeans were able to use railways to penetrate deeper into China than the um, river network had taken them. And also, they were able to um, spread Christianity through the work of missionaries. And um, Christianity has always, um, since the 18th and 19th centuries, always had a, a foothold in China. Um, it's growing at a quite a, a healthy rate at, at the moment. Um, and along the railway lines, there was a 20-mile corridor, an extraterritorial corridor, in which Chinese law did not apply. So for large sections of, the, um, of these uh, railroads deep into China, um, the, the, the laws of the uh, Qing government did not apply, and Western laws did. When the Qing government tried to establish their own railways, they um, lacked the funds and so had to appeal to Western banks to, to pay for them. Um, the, in 1890, um, the uh, Trans-Siberian Railway, um, the, its eastern end was established at Vladivostok, which had been seized from China 30 years earlier, um, and the Russians ran a section of the railway through China, then back into Russia, um, and this enabled Russia to have a great deal of influence in northern China and Manchuria. And um, the other great power right at that point disputing that part of the world was Japan, and there would be, for from the 1860s probably until the 1960s, a, um, a continuous power struggle between, at different times, Russia, China and Japan for that whole region. The, after, 18, uh, after 1900, um, the pace of railroad building dramatically increases, and this is because of a desire to um, acquire territory in China. The railway is seen as the principal tool for um, establishing territorial claims in, in China. If you can say that um, something valuable from your country is already there, then it gives you more um, leeway at international conferences in the future to say, well, we should have this part of the Yangtze Valley, for example. American and Belgian railway engineers connected Beijing and the southernmost city, Guangzhou. The presence of American railway builders in China is particularly interesting uh, because um, since long before the uh, American Civil War, there had been a view that um, America had a particularly uh, important role in China and that uh, China um, would be an immense source of wealth to uh, the burgeoning American capitalism, that China would be uh, kind of a good student for um, American Democrats um, and American liberal democracy to kind of educate and civilise, and that America should have some kind of open-door policy in China. Interestingly, um, the 19th century Japan, uh, rapidly modernising, viewed itself in much the same light, that it had a very similar role as the kind of the now the elder brother to China to kind of bring China into modernity. 
Now, an interesting statistic is that in the decade uh, up to 1900, of the 9,000 miles of railway built, only 120 of those were actually built by the Chinese government. So nearly the entire railway network was built by uh, foreign colonial powers. And this has a bearing on the uh, the Box of Rebellion, which was um, the last uh, uprising uh, against Westerners and uh, brutally put down by a consortium of Western uh, European and uh, American and, and uh, Japanese powers. In the aftermath of the Boxer Rebellion, the Qing government was acutely aware that foreign control over China's railway system was a huge source of resentment. It was. It couldn't do very much to reduce the ownership of the network by foreign powers, as many of them had loaned the Qing government money in order to pay for the railways, knowing full well that the states of China's finances were so bad that it would be unable to repay the loans. In 1904, the, the government allowed a network of smaller rail lines to develop, and these were financed uh, by the provinces themselves, and with shares raised by the local population. Um, this made that uh, ordinary Chinese kind of mercantile gentry types, uh, the, the middling sort, um, had a sense of ownership over the railway system and it drew them into the developing um, idea of a share-owning economy. Uh, uh, modern capitalist ideas were starting to kind of filter down into um, uh, the interior of China. And this was, uh, it was hoped that this would uh, have a positive effect on the Chinese pe- peasantry, so it could take them, allow them to take goods to market. Uh, but very little rail track was actually laid because of corruption, and this resulted in the Qing government intervening and turning the only source of finance, turning to the only source of finance that they had left, which was the foreign powers. So there was an attempt to nationalise these local rail networks, and then turn them over. Um, to uh, European rail companies. And the um, decision was uh, met with absolute outrage, uh, particularly in Sichuan province. Uh, And this is one of the final straws in um, the uh, development of the 1911 revolution. After the revolution, Sun Yat-sen became the driving force behind the development of um, the new railway network. And he was made by Yuan Shikai in 1912, the director of construction of all rails in China. He planned a network of 70,000 miles of track, but it was originally scaled back from a more ambitious 1.6 million miles. And this was... Um, almost impossible due to China uh, to create due to China's bankruptcy. So Sun Yat-sen, this nationalist figure, looked towards um, foreign powers to, to pay for it, and, and he wanted to finance the new railway network in much the same way that it had been financed. He wrote this uh, a book in 1918, published in 1922, called The International Development of China. And in it, he said that um, the... Uh, um, uh, the economic realities um, meant that there must be both nationalisation of the rail network, but also uh, the involvement of foreign powers, which is you know something that was never going to work. Um, the one thing that foreign investors dislike more than anything else is nationalisation. And the um, the plan prioritised the north of China for the most part because he thought in the south that China was already well served by the the riverboat system, by the steamboats we've already mentioned. 
what does that show us? Well, it shows us really that, that uh, Sun Yat-sen's main goal was to create a network that unified the country, not necessarily an economic network. So he wasn't looking at taking coal from mines to ports. He was looking at being able to connect all cities um, to the regions and therefore hold China together as a political entity. And the, um, the Sun Yat-sen's uh, national rail plan um, went on later to, after his death to inform the goals of Chiang Kai-shek's nationalist government and later the communist government as well. He wanted to make sure that uh, Nanjing, Shanghai and Beijing were uh, the, the central hubs of the system and that the periphery um, of China was connected to them. But even in 1987, um, this still hadn't been fully achieved, even though uh, successive regimes had taken on, uh, on the blueprint. So to, to sum up, really... These transport networks um, that were created in this um, disparate and fissile and chaotic um, empire in the dying days of the, uh, the, the Qing dynasty worked in two ways. They firstly worked to help Westerners to infiltrate deeper into China to um, make um, to access China's material resources and her markets and to create an outflow of wealth from China in the standard imperial model. But also, later on, the power of railway was uh, understood by Sun Yat-sen, and it was seen as a medium for actually holding this fissile empire together and crafting a modern nation-state out of it. So, I hope you found that useful and interesting, and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Have a great week, and I'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 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 Mm